Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am glad you're here. The Finding Refuge podcast emerged from a desire to have conversations about the intersection of grief and liberation. This podcast explores how we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. It features guests from various backgrounds, lineages, and lived experiences. I hope you enjoy listening. I am very excited to bring you today's interview with Rebby Kern. I met Rebby several years ago at the Amplify Activate Summit in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we talk about the time when we first met during the interview. And I really remember feeling Rebby's grounded presence and energy throughout our meeting and the time together at the summit. And since that time, I've gotten to follow Rebby's work and even collaborate with Rebby on a few projects. So I'd love to tell you a little bit more about Rebby Kern. Rebby uses they, them pronouns and is a biracial, non-binary queer person whose personal experience and professional career has placed them in the work of opening hearts and minds to equity, inclusion, and action. Rebby serves as the Director of Education Policy at Equality North Carolina, advocating for inclusive policy supporting LGBTQ youth across the state. Rebby also serves as a board member for Youth Outright and as a youth advisory member for the governor's office. Working across the nation, Rebby is a nationally certified and expert trainer for the Human Rights Campaign Foundation Welcoming Schools and All Children, All Families programs serving LGBTQ youth, families, educators, and youth serving professionals. Rebby is an educator in yoga and wellness, leading race and gender equity work through Rebby Kern Yoga, and as a board member for the Fitness Inclusion Action Committee, a project of the Out Foundation. I hope you enjoy this interview with Rebby Kern. Thank you, Rebby, for being here and a guest on the podcast. It was so lovely to see you and share space with you. Hi, Michelle. It's so good to see you and that we get to be on different sides of the state, but both experiencing this awesome fall sunshine. I know. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous fall day. (laughs) I actually remember when I, I think this is the first time I met you, I was in Charlotte at an event Jasmine Hines, what is it called? I should remember. Amplify and activate. Thank you. My brain was just like <laughs> gone. Sorry, Jasmine, if you're listening. Amplify and activate. And we, I think I had gone out and I came back in and Shola was leading some movement and a process. And we were paired together. And I remember, I don't know what I was doing. I don't feel very comfortable moving in my body most of the time, unless it's structured. And I feel like it was unstructured or something. And I remember being partnered with you and I don't know what you said, but it was something like settle into it or, you know, you weren't like directing me about what to do, but I think you could tell I was like, what is going on? (laughs) And you said something that was very grounding. I feel like that's the first time. (laughs) I met you and I will never forget it. it was like oh wait because I think I had gone out and was like rushing back in and then in this movement process with people kind of like what are what's going on 
and I feel like you recognized it and just grounded me. So thank you. And I think that's when I first first met you. And what an illumination to how people describe the role I play in their life. <laughs> and so that's, it's such a beautiful reflection. And the first time I really discovered who you were, Kelly Nicole handed me her personal copy of Skill in Action. And I still have it pages out and need to probably pass that along to another person now, now that I have the second edition. And it has been such a beautiful journey to to witness you, similar to how I see myself in my work, bringing in the elements of the world and the world that we want to see and live in and how we take care of ourselves, whether we call that yoga, wellness, fill in the blank. And it gave me permission to say, yeah, I can believe in social justice and do that in this sector. So thank you for giving me permission and for all of your work. And all of this has led us right here to this moment. It's <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> I know. I love it how we how we're here and how we landed here in this moment. Um, and I would love for you to share some about who you are, what you're up to in the world, anything you want to share about your location and how you're showing up in this moment as well. Mm, yeah, I'm Rebby. My pronouns are they, them, and theirs, and I currently reside on the lands of many people. Um, I recognize uh, the Catawba Nation um, as a federally recognized tribe that is home and community to many tribes in the area, including the Sugaree, the Catawba, the Waxa, the Chira, um, the Cherokee, Saponi, and so many, so many more. And it's been really beautiful living here in this state. I have been here since 2014. We're immediately following my college graduation. I had an opportunity to move here to do some national policy work advocating for LGBTQ folks in college campuses. Um, at that point in time, there was a lot happening in the policy realm at the federal level. And being a part of this work has led me into my activism work um, as a queer, non-binary, um, hard of hearing person. I have really seen myself in this work. And most folks that I knew graduating school weren't able to have an opportunity in their degree field and their passion work. And so I've, I've stayed here, kind of popping around different nonprofits and I am now working as the Director of Education Policy at Equality North Carolina, um, where I do a lot of really important work at the local and um, state and even at the federal level, and I'm proud of that. I began to navigate my yoga journey, if you will, when I became sober um, in 2011. And that was the first time I started to understand what it felt like to be in my body and to do shadow work. and yoga and movement and meditation um, and what I soon came to learn as the eight limbs of yoga helped give me space to understand my role as an activist and my role in taking care of myself, which has led me to a lot of answers and boundary setting today, which I'm really happy about. There's a lot more and I'm sure that'll come up along the way, <laughs> but I think that's a pretty strong foundation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing some about how you came to be and what you do in the world and your work and your practice. 
And I'm, I'm really curious to know, I feel like based on what I know about you and what you do in the world that you must encounter a lot of situations, people, circumstances that create loss and cause your heart to break. I'm just, I'm thinking about the app, the work that you do in the quality North Carolina. I'm thinking about the work you do within the wellness field, the work that you do in the practice around wholeness. And I'm curious both about what you are noticing, really what's breaking your heart right now and how that shows up in these different places that the experience of it may be similar or not. And I'm just based on how you described what you do. It's really making me think about it's not easy work or practice. And I would love to hear some about how your heart is and what you're noticing around heartbreak. Mm. This is an incredible question and it creates really warm, tingly and heavy body sensations. And I want to name that because there is a lot of heartbreak and there was a, an assumption that I made early on in my organizing that this was rainbows and butterflies. <laughs> and I quickly discovered that uh, doing this work on the ground for something that's much bigger than me is is heavy. And, and it is hard work, but it is also heart work, which I'm really grateful for. Right now, we're seeing a really strong coordinated effort by right-wing conservatives. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> There's no way around that. And these attacks are taking a very unique and not new look at the intersections of race and gender, specifically in the impacts of how transgender and non-binary people, gender non-conforming folks, move and operate in the world. Everything from the restrooms that we use to how we get to change our name on our identity documents at a local or federal level, thinking uh, driver's licenses and passports. My work has shown up at a hyper micro level, a local level, working at an LGBTQ youth center. The biggest heartbreaks that I've experienced is watching young people lose their lives to the battle. Um, the battle of what it's like to live in this world as a queer and trans person, um, the battle of uh, growing up through an adolescence without a supportive family, and not being able to see oneself reflected in the world from um, the adults in their lives, the decision makers at, a, you know, we'll talk about policy a lot, but even day to day and, and who hands them their meals every day. And that was a heartbreak I wasn't prepared for. There's been an element currently in this attack where I watch and recognize rights being stripped away from communities, continuing to systemically marginalize the communities who already are at the margins. When we think about Black and Brown and Indigenous, trans and queer people, and all at the hands of legislators that already have a lot of power. <laughs> if, if you're new to this conversation, please get your copy of Skill in Action, the second edition, and take a look at, at the, the power and, and social location wheels, because there's, there's a lot to be said at the heartbreak that's happening um, by people in power. And it's not new. We are not new to this, but we are true to this. Um, that's a, a big piece of how my heart is breaking right now um, through my work specifically because so much of it in this moment is impacting young people. 
bans on healthcare and access to gender affirming care, bodily autonomy at large, plan A, B, and C, um, and, and thinking through how young trans kids get to see themselves in schools through sports um, by having their names and pronouns recognized by educators and being autonomous in that process. And there's so much more through employment and credit and housing that we wouldn't have time to get into today. You, you also named from a wellness perspective. Um, and I began teaching yoga in 2018. And my heart quickly broke because I recognized within months of my first teaching opportunity at the studio I was scholarshiped in um, to then become a full-time teacher that um, there wasn't space for me. And I really, really, really wanted there to be space for me. And unfortunately, I'd come out of a yoga program where the whole teaching team was white, the entire leadership team was white, and the owner of the studio was white. And I launched my first workshop, um, Race, Gender, and Bias, and piloted it there. And none of the leadership of the studio came. And I was like, y'all, this is for you. <laughs> Look around. And it was absolutely heartbreaking to see that I wasn't going to be reflected there. And I had a huge decision to make um, in the role that I played in that work, which soon became quite exhausting and eventually led me to, to burn out. And then that's that was my early recollection that meant so much more to me now uh, as I've navigated through a much larger industry that I don't believe wants me to be in power and, and what I do to challenge that and what I do to divest from that. Thank you for speaking about different parts of your work and wellness and um, how you have and are experiencing heartbreak and what you've noticed. And I'm curious to know, and you just mentioned burnout, how you are, how do you take care of yourself or find refuge given that you are committed to work that is bigger than you and a practice that is, I think of, of service, right. To the collective. And in so many ways, you're not, you're not removed from it. Meaning like, so much from what I understand you are advocating for working for and being of service to also is connected to who you are and your identities, right? So as you're, as you're advocating for young trans folks, right? You were a young person. I don't know how you identified at that age, but I know how you, I mean, you just, you shared your pronouns with us here and how you identify now. Um, and so I'm just, I think that's tricky. Like when it's an identity we embody and we're, we're fighting for a change around that, the heartbreak in my experience feels different. It's like, it's like, it's happening to me and also it's happening to other folks like me. And so I'm just, and I don't know if that resonates, but I was listening and felt that and feel like that's different than if we're like, oh, that's happening over there. Or I can remove myself, even though we really can't, but we know that, but like, there is a way I can be like, it's not happening to me, right? If I'm not conscious and awake. So I'm curious to know how you, how you've cared for yourself, how you are caring for yourself now, given that you're in the heart of it, you're like in the middle of it too. <laughs> that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. I just had a really vivid memory of a huge red cushy beanbag in my college theater. And I 
just remembered what it felt like to stand on one of the theater chairs and just fall backwards into this cushy beanbag. And it eventually pushed me to buy my own beanbag at a house that I lived at while I was in college. The setting I was in while I was uh, coming out fully, um, both as an activist and as a queer person in life, um, I was at a a small um, uh, liberal arts college that had a a deep Christian affiliation. And um, once I started organizing as a queer person, as an out queer person, as an out queer person in a same gender relationship, I realized that once again, I was a part of a system that didn't see me, didn't um, offer me space and time to be there. And so I began to find refuge in the theater. I began to find refuge by um, connecting into the community members around me that soon became my family. I was already in refuge from a childhood that I couldn't quite unpack yet. And, uh, you know, I was already guided on a a journey towards addiction um, that I thought was my refuge. And I'll talk a little bit more about how all of that ties back in. And when I think about this big red cushy beanbag, that's the kind of, of free and carefree um, fall into kind of refuge that I do continue to seek. As a person now in my world, I am surrounded by a network of people that I like to call my healing network. And those people in my inner circle are those that I deeply relate to and I'm in relationship with. And most of them have shared identities with me. They're either black or brown, they are trans, they are queer, they're also organizers or movement makers. And what has become possible in that is we've been able to consent into each other to fall in. Sometimes it's as simple as an emoji in uh, during a training weekend. I'm currently in a 300 hour shout out to Michelle (laughs) and to deepen my learning in a whole other way. And a lot comes up. And sometimes I just need to send an emoji to somebody to consent to let something go and just be held and fall in. And there are people in my life that have given me that consent to do so. And it has revolutionized the way that I remain vulnerable and remain in relationship. That has been learning after spending a lot of times escaping. Like refuge was, this doesn't exist. I'm gonna rewrite my past and I want people to see this hard exterior perfect. I want it to be very perfect (laughs) that nobody would ever question that I came from a home of abuse and harm and confusion that have really deep scars for me that I'm learning how to live with instead of push out. Um, Like a part of that healing is to acknowledge and name that those things make me who I am. And the falling in process now, sometimes it looks like watching a lot of TV. (laughs) I won't lie, Michelle, they're so nice. I'm like, I gotta watch Selling Sunset or something because I need something as far away from my world and work as possible because I'm living it, I'm breathing it. I, I can research policy all day long and at the end of the day, I'm like, ooh, this impacts me. Like my state doesn't really love me either. <laughs> and that can be really hard to go to sleep with at night. Um, so sometimes that disassociation can be very helpful. But a part of my healing network is also therapy. I have been in therapy um, centering on the grief of losing my father in December of 2020. 
as well as all of my gender feels and navigating my own uh, depression and anxiety and some of my trauma work as well. Um, being held by professionals is really great. Some of that refuge was being on an antidepressant after my dad passed. I was afraid that my recovery was at risk and that wasn't something I was willing to reintroduce into my life. I often feel like a, a visitor in my own home, in the home of my body and my mind <laughs> as a visitor, um, being really taken cap captured um, by drugs and alcohol. That was my journey. Um, and if I play my cards right, I'll pick up 11 years uh, on October the 22nd of this month. Um, it's been a beautiful, beautiful journey and protecting my sobriety is is absolute refuge for me. Yeah, and I have a really great partner. <laughs> I love them a lot. <laughs> and, and they help catch me when I fall too. Mm. I love the image of the beanbag and appreciate you sharing that and that falling in in so many different ways and whatever catches us as that place of refuge or point of refuge and also how you are and have created that for yourself and are creating it when you spoke about protecting your sobriety, like what is non-negotiable and then how do we engage supports to help us um, stay aligned with what is non-negotiable. So I appreciate you, you sharing that and, and I have two different questions. And one, I'm just going to say, it's not a question I ask people very often because I feel like it, I don't know how I feel about the question. So I'm just going to put it out there. And if you don't want to answer it, it's fine. <laughs> I think it's because of how it's been used, but I'm, I'm thinking about um, your younger self. And I'm curious to know what you would say to that part of yourself now, which of course is part of you. The reason I think I have a reaction to the question is like people ask that question all the time in ways that don't land for me. And the reason I'm asking is because I asked something about like, you are advocating for young people with shared identities that you have, right? And, and this is part of you. And and you spoke some about your story in theater and, and where you found home. And so and, and also your experience in your actual home and with your family of origin. So that, I just want to be transparent about where the question is coming from. Like, I'm curious, I'm curious to know what you would say to that part of yourself. So that's one question I have. Mm. Wow. My chest gets really tight and my toes are wiggling, which for me is a sign of a lot of discomfort, which means there's some truth to tell. <laughs> I love all of that. Um, and in, in my room, which became my sanctuary as a kid, um, I would write and, and journal and write poetry a lot. And I got to express so much of what I was feeling that I wasn't able to tell people. And there is a sense of validation that I was looking for from myself and my peers that I wasn't quite getting from uh, the adults in my life. And so I would tell myself something about, I can be seen in my own way and I have everything I need. The seeking of, of affirmation from an external sense, it took me a long time navigating through relationships as a young person, um, romantically and platonically, and um, understanding the cost of love. I've talked about this in an episode of my own podcast of um, allowing my body to become a type of currency for love. And if I could help myself understand that I can become the source of light for myself, and that term can be overused in so many ways, and I needed that light, 
and I couldn't see myself affirmed. I couldn't see myself as good enough. I wasn't able to see my future. And so I really created this limited superficial interaction with the world that kept me quite small. And then leading that led me into the space of perfectionism, where if I just did the right thing and showed up for the right people and got in the right circles, then I would make it, whatever that meant. So I I, I would have to tell myself, and, and that's advice I would listen to today, is that um, I have everything that I need, right, to be that source, and that my authentic self is, is enough and, and is worthy in this world. Oh, aww. I needed to say that I am worthy in this world. Hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> I was afraid to ask that question because of my own association with how triggering it can feel, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I need to answer it. I have no idea. <laughs> For but all the therapists like, out there encouraging you to work on your little self. <laughs> yeah, I think I was like, oh, I don't know. And what medicine? Like, thank you for the medicine and your vulnerability in answering the question. And, and taking that risk with me. So I just want to honor, honor you and, and appreciate the affirmation you offered yourself and shared with us about your worthiness in this world. Yes, yes, is what I'll, what I'll say. Not that you need me to say that. Just, just uplifting the, that, the power in it. And I am so, um, this is not the first time I've felt struck by your clarity. And it's making me curious about two things. And one is, and when I say clarity, what I mean is in how you've answered some of the questions I asked today, have asked today, and just our our other work together and interactions. I don't know what your process is, but what I witness is you witnessing yourself or talking about like, not that you're not integrated. It's like at this point in time, this is what was going on for me. And this is what I've done to acknowledge that or work through that. That's what I mean when I say witnessing or, or for a group sort of witnessing and then expressing the dynamics that might be play in this space, that kind of witness, that seer that yoga often talks about in spiritual practice. And that to me is connected to clarity. Like who, who am I in this moment and what's going on and what is happening around me and how is it affecting me and the external world? That's what I mean. And I'm, and I've interacted with with many people who who I have not um, experienced having this level of clarity, and that's not a judgment. It's more like when I meet somebody who's who's clear and witnessing in the way I just described, I'm struck by it. And so that's what I'm what I'm sharing. And I'm it's making me think about practice or where that that clarity comes from. And maybe it comes from practice. Maybe it is spiritual practice. Maybe it's practice of something else. Maybe it's which I would say sobriety is it a spiritual practice, right? A commitment to that or devotion to yourself in that way. So I think my question is like, where does that come from? What is the role of practice? How does it allow you to have the clarity that I'm, that I witness every time I'm in space with you? Mm. Wow. The reflection back is deeply meaningful. And, and there has been a lot of process to get here. (laughs) And, and thank you. Um, there is, there are a lot of things coming up around this because there have been so many moments in my life that have pushed me 
to decision make. And those decisions are either give up and quit or take a look and do something different. So I don't want to push to the side that I am also a deeply, deeply hurt person. And, and I have witnessed myself hurting other people and my work in sobriety. Yes. Very spiritual has helped me put new practices in so that that little S self that absolutely wants to harm others can keep their seat and, and naming that that is there is so deeply liberating for me. And that's something I battle a lot, whether it's helping train my dog or being in relationship with a human being that we live together or helping my mom through this last stage of her life after we have just seen my dad through his last stage of life. And it brings a lot up. There is some important context and I, I am adopted and I am adopted in an intergenerational family. Uh, my dad was 80 when he passed in 2020. My mom is 79 now. My eldest sibling is 60. I am 33. And my closest sibling to me is 19 years older. And so we all grew up very different. And we are a very blended family. Um, we um, each share different parents. And what that created was... Um, as well as some of the abuse that I faced at home was a, a, a deep, rapid maturity where I was having conversations really early about things that I probably didn't need to be thinking about at 7, 11, or 13. And with the kinds of experiences that I was having that impacted how I saw myself and how others saw my body and how I saw my future, created a, a lot of question very early. And so I began to question everything. If I didn't trust my parents, who could I trust? If the people that were supposed to love me the most hurt me the most, well, then where do I find love and compassion? There was a point in time that I didn't think that there was any, and and I didn't want to move forward with my life. And I'm so grateful to be here and, and to have reached this age. I started therapy um, about the middle of my addiction, and, and my therapist at that point said, you got to look at this or I can't help you. And it took me many years and, and losing a, per, a, a really important person to me in my life who died by an overdose of heroin, um, who I was supposed to hang out with the night before and had already made commitments to myself about not using anymore. It put so much more in a perspective that that was the pathway. If I picked up again, that could be my pathway and something completely shook in my body. And it was as if the veil had been uncovered about what I was doing. I was able to engage in sobriety for long enough to start to put some of these practices into place that created a reframe that helped me see that what happened wasn't my fault. And it helped me see that I can create the journey that I want to have and I can break that cycle. And coming from generations of trauma and knowing what the trauma is, I've been able to meet my birth mother um, since my father has passed and understanding what is carried in my bloodline and this like ancestral warriorship. I was like, 
oh, wait, this makes a lot of sense. Knowing that my birth mom is artistic and has been studying film. We were in LA making film at the same time and had no idea. Uh, many of my blood ancestors have been the first black somebody to do something and something. And that storyline made so much more sense to me because I had been quieted and silenced for so long that there was something so loud inside of me. And it took for me to go through all of this like grief and rage and, and terrorship that kept me questioning everything. And so it was probably my second year, maybe third year of sobriety that I really started to see myself again. I felt like I landed back in my body and got to do some of the deeper level work and get back into therapy to really peel the onion open, if you will. And that's when I started to engage um, in yoga in a new way and, and became a teacher and realized that what I had been learning in my sobriety journey in taking a look at it, understanding it and remaining in choice whether that's picking up a drink or whether that's having a calm, cool, collected conversation while my body is filled with rage and knowing when to lead with rage. <laughs> this is not to erase rage. Uh, if you've not read Love and Rage by Lama Rod Owens, um, mindfulness will not undo trauma uh, or any of the isms. And so um, there is a way to be led by rage while also practicing um, non-harming practices if that's necessary in that time. And all of the learning in that has been really helpful and, and the immense process of looking at how I've harmed others and taking accountability for that. That shows up in recovery, that shows up in spirituality and our practices in our yamas and niyamas. And it all started to make more sense. It just did. And that I was a part of an activism journey that kept me really close to that day in and day out, that I finally got to see that there's a world so much bigger and I could be connected to something that was so much bigger than my little T trauma, <laughs> if you will. Thank you for sharing more context and history, right? About where parts of where you come from and also the journey of learning more about that and your meeting your birth mom and things making sense in a way that they hadn't before and how that links to practice and sobriety and really seeing yourself and allowing yourself to land in your body and also to I heard you just say see how you're connected to to everything and you didn't use that word but that's what I what I heard <laughs> and what you shared like this connection you know to all things that are around us and really the devotion to something that is bigger than you. I heard that too, like the, the service part of this, right? And I'm curious to know what, like how you would describe what you're in service to, or it's not a test. I actually like, that could be like a color. It could be a treat. I don't know what it is, but it came when you were talking about connection to something like and, and to service and something bigger than your, your individual experience, even though your individual experience is valid, important, and part of your story. I just, it came to me that question of like, what is that? What would you say about that? The first thing that, that comes to mind is to shift my experience from shame 
and use that in connection to those I can help. And that for me is the foundation of, of service. And to live without the weight of shame is so liberating and has allowed me to have conversations with legislators that don't necessarily understand who I am as well as having conversations with young teenagers navigating middle school and high school and not knowing what they're supposed to do next and being able to share some of those experiences and and selflessly help somebody see their future in me and that ah that's what gives me the most feel goods in my body is that i get to be that person for myself that i needed when i was their age I hear that so much from people and it wasn't until I could sit here in this seat and settle into that and, and recognize what that feels like. There's so much inspiration and there's so much connection there. And service is something for me that I can be a part of in all ways. COVID really helped me have such a deep, meaningful relationship to my neighbors, like the people that share land with me and to, to see them and in a non-creepy way, like understand their habits and how they move around the world when their blinds are open and, and front doors open, they might be welcome to visitors. Like learning those cues that are intuitive instead of being so centered on, oh no, that, custom, that person cut me off and I'm late, but blaming them. So service for me has helped me see and be witness to those around me to better understand how I get to show up I love this question a lot. (laughs) I do too. I was like, oh yeah, that's a a good question, Michelle. But I, you know, I didn't have a list. It just came forth from what you have gifted us so far in this conversation. And I was like, oh, I wonder what Rebby would say about that. You know, like it took me (laughs) to a really curious and joyful place. So thank you for going there, (laughs) going there with me. Of course. Yeah. Which makes me, I just mentioned joy and I'm, I'm curious to know what is, I know we talked about refuge and they may feel the same to you. And sometimes for me, refuge doesn't feel the same as joy. It's like, I find this place where, where yes, I could come back to myself where I'm held, which might be different than how elated I feel when my dog Jasper does something that's like really funny, right? Or those, the quality of those experiences feels different to me than how I would describe them. So I'm curious to know what is bringing you joy these days at this time? Um, yeah, that's the question I want to ask. Mm. It's a long list, which is very good. And at the top of that list right now is saying no. <laughs> I will quote Lama Rod Owens again. Lama Rod says, no is the mother of boundaries. And he could not be more true about that. I am a person from team do too much. And, and it has been great healing to say no and to plan ahead. I will share that we've had this on the books for quite some time and that helps me be really prepared for it and and to plan ahead. The joy practices in my life can feel harder to reach. Um, I do have a lot at the center and forefront that bring a lot of heaviness and, and it is important to bring those joy practices in. And 
doing new things and sharing experiences with my partner has been a huge component of that. Uh, we went back to my hometown last week and spent a whole week and stayed with my childhood best friend who is also trans and their partner is trans and one of their kids is trans and we're crossing our fingers for their second kid. But everybody in the family, it just, it feels like home. And to go back to the place where I grew up and create new memories and to have bright, shining thoughts when I think back to M Street, when I think back to South 61st Street, when I think back to the waterfront and Wigby Island and all of these places, I get to rewrite that history and make it bright again. And it is one of my favorite things as an adult to return to and is helping me move more lightly. A part of that joy is food. I love food so much. Uh, I do keep a vegan, um, I don't like the word diet, but I eat vegan, that is my food of choice. And um, don't always love to cook and really enjoy cooking when I have the energy for it. And the one thing I keep in the freezer at all times, and my partner will vouch for this, I always must have tater tots in the freezer and I make them for breakfast and I make them for lunch. And sometimes I smash them and put seasoning on them and put them at the base of another dish like a curry. And just, I, there are always tater tots in the freezer. And that is one of my joy foods. I was having a weird mood and my partner said, would you like some truffle tots? And I promise I, my whole body demeanor shifted and changed. And I was like, I have no shame around this. I know who I am. Um, other joy pieces, um, we, my partner and I have been uh, going to pottery classes, which is not something I ever had access to growing up. And that has been really fun. And, and now we have little dishes and bowls and cups around the house. And um, some of our dear friends uh, go to the studio as well. So we get to share our learnings and binge the great pottery throwdown. And that's been really fun. <laughs> Uh, I will also share that my learning journey is a point of joy and returning back to the seat of a student, which has been my intention this year, has been so important. People lean into me and fall into me to know all the things and have a plan and, you know, integrate the plan to undo racism and homophobia and transphobia. And I do my best, but I cannot do all of that. And, and so in that also means that as I learn more about the systems I interact in, I get to add in my no. And, and that has looked like many different things, including not renewing with Lululemon and knowing that I get to be in choice in where I am integrated and my alignment and how I teach others to treat me. And that has been some of the deepest, greatest learnings that I individually cannot represent an entire community of people in a system that is continuing to cause harm. And without that recognition and without that deep integrated work, I as an individual must protect myself, protect my energy. If I need my cuppeth fulleth, then I must walketh awayeth in a lot of situations. And that was one, it was really freeing. And to take that learning with me, there is no shame or guilt in my decisions. I learned a lot and now I get to turn that around and help people who might be going in that direction to say, here's what I learned working with systems.
<laughs> ellipses. <laughs> so all of those things are part of my joy practices, getting outside in the sun, playing with my dog, um, and finding movement that works for me. Um, I, my Matt and I are, are having a, a tussle. Uh, we're trying to figure out what that looks like and outdoor activities uh, are definitely, definitely helping me, especially in this fall season. My Matt and I are also having a tussle too. Um, so there's that. So funny. And thank you for sharing all of the, the joy practices and the tater tots and the, you know, different places where you seek joy and find joy like that, that is so powerful and how boundaries and saying no is connected to our joy, right? Like, and our, our capacity to feel joy and to be in choice in the way you named, right? Where we have agency and, and to be in choice. So I appreciate, appreciate that. And I wonder if there's anything else you want to share before we pause our time together. I want to thank you for your work. Your book came out in in such a, a crucial time for me personally, Finding Refuge. And I had never felt grief in the way that I did in losing my dad in COVID and living alone for the first time and in what seemed like a very, very dark phase, broadly speaking. And you are an incredible writer and share your experiences in a way that I know for me personally gave permission and the way that you relate to the bees and the way that you relate to the world around you and what you've learned all and, and I relate so much to your journey and, and where you've been that it's all connected. It is all connected. And to see all of those pieces together, you know, in the bindings of that book just helped me see that one, I could talk about what I was feeling to people in my life and and not care about my Instagram followers not wanting me to talk about grief. Like that's what I'm faced with and it's not pretty. And I feel a new sense of being, a new understanding of this phase of life and a deep appreciation for honoring the transitions of life. And really got me to question as an American, why I was so hung up on the loss of life of this person Um, and got to reframe that into my dad is transitioned and I have different ways to access him. And and he is on my altar. I'm looking at him right now and I got to take a a piece of him back home. And um, and it's it's given me access and permission through this journey that I am not as scared. And that's a gift that you've given me. So thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that with me and and us and for receiving my heart through finding refuge in the way you just named. And I'm so grateful um, finding refuge found you and and that you touched into it. And I say it that way because I I don't think being with grief in my experience is easy. Right, and I wrote that in many different ways. And that like being with our heartbreak, our hearts in the way finding refuge invites people to to do that that's not easy practice it's not an easy practice so i feel like the book is an invitation and a gift and people receiving it is also a gift um so thank you for uplifting that and and thank you so much for being who you are 
and spending time with me today and being on this path. I'm so glad we met and that we met in the way that I, I think I remember, right? And Amplify Activate and that moment. And I'm glad our paths have like intertwined throughout the years in so many different ways. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rebby. Thanks, Michelle. You're incredible. And it's, it's an honor to be here and to share a part of my story. And this is telling my story is a part of this healing process. And so it's, it's great to be able to take this step on this journey with all of you here. Yeah, thank you. And we'll include in the show notes, of course, how people can connect with you. So that will be there. Um, and I hope, I hope people do. And I hope you continue to say no as well. Set your boundaries. So thank you so much, Rebby. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. If you are enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to share it with friends and family members and to rate it on iTunes. In addition to sharing about this podcast, you can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action, Yoga and Social Justice. I offer monthly movement and meditation practices, as well as a monthly divination reading. Lastly, I want to share that I have a new book coming out in April of 2023. We Heal Together. Rituals and Practices for Building Community and Connection. It is currently available for pre-order and you can go to the Penguin Random House website, search Michelle Johnson or We Heal Together and pre-order my book. There are several spaces you can pre-order it from. Thank you so much and take care.